0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to the 5th chapter of James, 5th chapter of James. We're in verses 7 through 11. And after this, uh, we'll have uh, two or three more sermons, I believe, from James 3, I believe. And two weeks from today, uh, at the end of the service, when I preach on healing, Uh, If you would like us, and we'll do it today if you want us to, that's fine, but uh, especially on that day, we're going to have a time of anointing people with oil and praying for them to be healed, and so if you have a need for that, if you want to wait or if you want to do it today, it's fine. You come. We always do that, and um, that will be a special time, but I hope that you are praying and believing for God to do great things in our midst. Uh, I want to uh, ask you, do you believe that Jesus Christ could come back today? How many many of you believe that, that he could come back in the rapture today? And uh, I believe that. I believe that we're living in the last days. Now, technically, uh, I guess you could say theologically or whatever you want to say, biblically, we have been living in the last days since Jesus ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit came back. When the Holy Spirit came back on the day of Pentecost and when he came and he literally dwelt in redeemed humanity, something changed and people were wondering, what is this? And Peter said in Acts chapter two, this is a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. And Joel said, In the end times, God will put his spirit within believers. So we've been in the end times since the day of Pentecost. But I believe in my heart that we are at the end of the end of times. (laughs) I believe that Christ could come back at any moment. Now, I'm not telling you that Jesus is going to come back today or next year. I'm not one of those people because Jesus himself said, no one knows except the Father. So I'm not about to, you know, make any predictions, but I can just tell you that song sums it up. I look around me, I see prophecies being fulfilled. And the only thing that needs to take place for Jesus to come back is just for Jesus to come back. I mean, nothing has to happen until Jesus comes back in the rapture to take his church out and uh, I'll talk to you a little bit more about that momentarily. When I read texts like, don't turn to this unless you're quick at the draw, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, it makes me realize that I believe we're in the last of the last days because this describes our culture to a T. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and following, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. King James says... Uh, Perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Does that sound a little bit like our culture to you? Unloving, irreconcilable. That's a big deal. We don't want to forgive anybody for anything. Malicious gossips without self-control. Brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. If that's not America, I don't know what is. Lovers of of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, although they deny its power. Avoid such men as these. That's why I believe it's very possible that we are in the last of the last days. I believe Christ could come back at any moment in the rapture of the church. That's Jesus coming for his people to take us out of the church to take us to heaven. 1 Thessalonians, we read about it in chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Just look on the screens. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, not with a whisper, but with a shout. The voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. Harpazo is the Greek word. Rapio is the Latin word, and we get the word rapture from the Latin word rapio. The Greek word caught up, harpazo, means to be snatched away. Some of y'all didn't have a daddy like I did, but I can remember getting snatched. <laughs> I remember one time <laughs> the deacon in the Lord's Supper dropped the bread on the ground in the little plate in First Baptist Dyersburg. Right, right there is where it was in my mind's eye. I was sitting on, right back there where you are on the second row, and I saw that bread laying there, and I got hungry, and I, the preacher was preaching, and and I just thought, man, I'm, that's mine. When this, when he says the, the benediction, it's, I'm getting all that bread down there on that field. And so as soon as he prayed the benediction, I jumped on it, and all of a sudden, this huge left hand grabbed the back of my clothes and picked me up in the rapture. Amen. I'm telling him. And he said, boy, what are you thinking? He took me out. I don't even think he waited to take me out and started beating on me. Amen. I just... Start whacking on me and stuff. You said, "Oh, he he abused you." No, he did what he should have done. I want, I deserved the spanking. Amen. He he did what he should have done. <laughs> I don't I don't fault my daddy for that at all. I needed a whipping, and he said, "What are you thinking? Eating the Lord's bread, son? What is wrong with you?" But anyway, I got snatched up, and that's what the rapture is. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall always be. Praise God. We're always going to be with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Luke 17 describes the rapture, gives three great illustrations of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. He said, two will be in bed, one will be taken, one will be left behind. Two will be grinding grain, one will be taken, one will be left behind. Two will be working in the field, one will be taken, one will be left behind. You can read it at the end of Luke chapter 17. It's in your Bible. At Bellevue Baptist Church, we believe in six end-time events. Dr. Rogers and I talked a lot about this, and we agreed on, on this. We believe in the rapture. That's Jesus coming for his church. That's the first end-time event, and that could happen at any moment. No other prophecy needs to be fulfilled for Jesus to come back and snatch us away in the rapture. Second thing, then, that inaugurates the second thing, and that is the Great Tribulation. We talked about that unprecedented suffering. Jesus referred to it first as the Great Tribulation in Matthew 24, 21, and the greatest part of the book of Revelation describes the Great Tribulation. It's from chapters 6 through 18 in Revelation. I preached on that last year, and you can hear more about that. All of our sermons are free online if you want to go listen to them, and uh, you can listen to that uh, series on Revelation to hear about the Great Tribulation. Then the second coming is the third event. That's Jesus coming at after the end of the seven-year Great Tribulation with His saints. And we're going to come back. We're going to be on white horses, and He's going to be on a white horse, and Jesus is going to come back and destroy the enemy. And the Bible says that that will take place, and, and we read about it in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. And then right after that is uh, we see the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, and Jesus will come back, and he's going to reestablish Eden, if you will, on this planet. It's going to be a thousand years of peace. That's the only time people are saying, let there be peace on earth and let it begin in me. Well, I, that's a, that gives you a warm fuzzy at Christmas time, but I want to tell you something. There's not going to be peace on this earth until the Prince of Peace comes back and takes over, all right? Jesus is not coming back takes take sides. He's going to take, gonna take over. And so he's going to run everything. Everything on the radio is going to be about Jesus. Everything on television, if you got television, is going to be about Jesus. Everything on the internet is going to be about Jesus. You dial in, there's only one place on the internet, Jesus.whatever. All right, I'm telling you, Jesus is going to be King of kings, Lord of lords, and reign for a thousand years. And then that's uh, the millennial reign of Christ. You can read about that in Revelation 21 through 6. And then the final judgment. You can read about that in the latter part of chapter 20 of Revelation. And uh, that's when whoever's name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life is gonna be cast into the lake of fire. And then the last of the six events is the destruction of this earth in fire. Second Peter, we'll read about that momentarily. And it's the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem, and thus we shall ever be with the Lord. That's the last two chapters of the Bible. So I'm not predicting that Christ will return today, but I'm telling you he can return today in the rapture of the church. James said this very same thing in his letter. He talked about the imminent or the near returning of Jesus Christ. And so you've got a title, but I retitled it. I took a a text out of the, I turned it in early this week. And so I got my second title right out of the text later in the week. And the title for me is The Coming of the Lord is Near. Would you say that with me, please? The Coming of the Lord is Near. James 5 verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. There's the title. Do not complain, brethren, against one another so that your so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets, that's the Old Testament prophets, who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You've heard of the endurance of Job. That's the oldest book in the Bible, by the way. Book of Job, oldest book in the Bible. And have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Aren't you glad God is compassionate and full of mercy? Amen? Well, let's talk about the coming of the Lord is near. And because of that, we need to wait in four or five ways. First of all, the coming of the Lord is near. So let us wait for the coming of the Lord patiently, patiently. Look at verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Makrothumeo is the Greek word for be patient. It's a verb. It means to wait patiently. It's the same exact word used in Hebrews chapter 6 to describe how Abraham waited for 25 years after the promise that God gave him for a biological son until he had his biological son. And of course, that was Isaac. read about that in Hebrews 6, 15. So having patiently waited, makrothameo, Abraham obtained the promise. That's how we're supposed to wait for the coming of the Lord. We're not supposed to get antsy about it, but we should be looking for it, but we don't wanna get impatient with the Lord. It doesn't matter if it's a year or if it's five years, 10 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, 1,000 years is like a day to the Lord. So we want it to be exactly when he wants it to be. So we're content with him setting all the calendar on his events, that's fine. And uh, we're going to wait, we're going to wait patiently. Verse 7 goes on to say, the farmer, and the minute I hear that, I, I know what he's getting at. I, I knew where he was going because I was raised around farmers, you know. you know. They have to be patient. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, that is the harvest, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. I think we got the early and the late rain all together on one day last week, don't you? I mean, boy, we got some rain. And uh, the farmer waits, though. in Indekomai, to wait for with an expecting attitude. It's not just hanging around, being bored. It's expecting good things to happen as you wait. That's how farmers wait. They patiently, expectantly wait for the harvest of their crops, Crops are planted in one day, but they are not harvested on the day they are planted. The farmer has to wait for the precious produce of the soil. He tills that ground, he sows the seed, he fertilizes it, he takes care of it, he gets the weeds out, and then finally, at long last, after much patience, he reaps the harvest. That's what happens. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it. Then he says again in verse 8, you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. Stay Rizzo. Fix firmly. Grab hold of and let it support you. Strengthen your heart. And that's what patience does. It strengthens us. It builds up our faith muscles. Jesus is coming back. You know, he said so. You know what? Jesus never lied, did he? When he said he was going to rise from the dead, he rose from the dead. When he says he's coming back, guess what? He's coming back. We need to wait patiently. Don and I uh, went on vacation. You allowed us to do that, and we appreciate it. One of the places we went, I'd never been, but she had been, was Old Faithful. And so we got a little video, and, and, and we're talking about the faithfulness. We're supposed to be waiting, you know, uh, believing that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. So I just want you to see old faithful is faithful, but Jesus is more faithful than old faithful. But still old faithful is kind of cool, so I thought we'd show it to you. Okay, great. like that buffalo at the end. That's a ton of mean bull right there is what that is. But long after Old Faithful's gone, aren't you glad that God's still faithful? Jesus is coming back. He will come back and it will be worth the wait. We're supposed to wait patiently. That's the way we sat there. We waited almost an hour and a half for Old Faithful to go off. And uh, talk to people all around us, and, and all of a sudden, boom! There it went. And God's faithful, a lot more faithful than any geyser. Okay, Titus 2:13 says, "Looking for the blessed hope, and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus." But why does He wait? So that people will get saved. That's why He waits. Peter talked about that in 2 Peter chapter 3. He said, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. A thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not really being slow about His promise. That is His promise to come back, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, that is go to hell, but wants everybody to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. The very elements themselves will disappear in fire. That's where he says it's going to burn up. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Don't let anybody tell you the Lord is not coming back. He will come back. We don't know when, but he will come back. So let's wait patiently. Number two, let's wait passionately. Let's wait passionately. Look at verse 8. For the coming of the Lord is near. That word coming there is parousia. Now somebody say, you mispronounced that. It's parousia. No, it's not. It's parousia. All right? I'm not going to argue with you, but I'm right. Okay, anyway, all right. Uh, The coming, the advent the arrival of Christ. It's the messianic return of the Messiah to the earth. Uh, Some people are looking for Messiah to come the first time. He's already come. When he comes back, he's coming the second time. And so we're not looking for the first coming of Christ. We're looking for the second coming. And it's the parousia that Jesus talked about. He talks, uh, by the way, if you want to know about the end of time, just go look at uh, Mark 13 and Matthew 24. It's all about eschatological end time events. And in Matthew 24, three, he was sitting on the Mount of Olives. Very interesting because that's where he's coming back. Uh, The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these, when will these things happen? He'd been talking about the coming of the Lord, uh, his coming. He said, what will be the sign of your coming? your, Your coming, that's the word parousia and of the end of the age. So Jesus answers and part of his answer is on down in Chapter 24, verse 27, for just as the lightning comes from the east, that's why people think that he's coming from the east because he said he's the lightning, he's coming like the lightning from the east. Just like the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so the coming, the parousia of the Son of Man will be. Paul's talked about the coming of the Lord as well in 1 Thessalonians five twenty three. Many times he talked about it. One example of a famous verse though, It talks about the fact that we are a trichotomy. We have, there are three parts of us, if you will. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete. When you die, your spirit and soul leave your body. That's all death is. That's all it is, is your spiritual side leaves you. But he says, you'll be preserved complete without blame, when? At the coming, the parousia of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter talked about it in 2 Peter 3.12. He said, looking for and hastening the coming, there it is, parousia of the day of God. And then he talks about the burning up of the elements because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. John talked about it in 1 John 2.28. So you have Jesus, Paul, Peter, and John all talking about the coming of the Lord. And in 1 John 2.28, you have now little children, abide in Him, that is abiding in Christ so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming, at his parousia. The coming, the parousia, is near in Gidzo, to to be close, to be on the way. We don't know when, but it is near in the sense that it's on the way. It's on the way. You say, it sure has taken a long time. Well, you know what? That's all up to God. And I'm grateful it's taken the time that it has because more people have gotten saved, all right? So it's near. It's near. 1 Peter 4 7, the end of all things is, same word in Gidzo, it is near. Great memory verse, by the way. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The end of all things is near. These guys were looking for this coming of Christ. Don't you know that that makes a difference in the way you live? Don't you know that you think differently? You act differently when you think that, hey, this could be the last day on earth, not because I might die. That's true too, but because Christ might come. And if Christ might come, I need to be telling people about Jesus. I need to be living a holy life. I don't need to be living in sin. Don't you see why we should live as though Jesus could come back today? And then verse nine reiterates the the theme there. Behold, the judge is standing he doesn't just say at the door. He said, right at the door. He's from Dyersburg. Amen. He knows how to talk. Amen. Not just at the door, but right at the door. Right at the door. The judge is right at the door. Jesus could come back at any moment. The picture, he, he got it from Jesus himself. Jesus said in Matthew 24, so you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door, right at the door. It's a picture of a judge about to enter the courtroom to render judgment. That's exactly what it is. And when the, the, the judge in an earthly courtroom, entered, everybody, all rise, we all stand up. And you know what? When Jesus comes back, every eye will see him, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he's right at the door. Don't tell me Christ couldn't come back today. Don't tell me that James didn't believe that. Sure he did, sure he did. So we're waiting passionately. You know, that's how a bride and a groom wait for one another when they're ready to get married. Do you remember when you were married and you thought the the preacher never was gonna say, you may now kiss your bride? And you're just waiting, you know, You're you're just wanting this thing to happen. And I read in the Bible about uh, a, a beautiful couple, Jacob, whose name became Israel, and Rachel, the daughter of Laban, and how he said, uh, I would like to marry your daughter. Well, I'd rather give her to you than, uh, you know, somebody else, but you're going to have to serve me for seven years before you have her. Seven years of engagement? I don't recommend that. <laughs> well, Jacob, apparently it didn't bother him, too much because the Bible says in Genesis 29, 18 through 20, since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, that's Laban, he said, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife agreed, Laban replied, I'd rather give her to you than anyone else, stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him like a few days. He waited eagerly, he waited passionately, and that's the way We're supposed to wait for the coming of the Lord because the Bible says the coming of the Lord is near. The judge, behold. And anytime the Bible says behold, you need to understand that's added for emphasis. This is really important. Behold. uh, It's kind of like in that movie McFly, you know, knocking on his head, you know. uh, You don't even know what I'm talking about. But anyway, uh, back to the future. It was a good movie kind of, you know. Maybe you don't like it. I don't care. Okay, right. Okay. Uh, Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Jesus could come back at any moment in the rapture. He could come back today. The parousia is nearer than ever before, and he's returning, and we should wait passionately. We should wait eagerly. We should be excited about it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, 7, now you who have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one of my Favorite verses in the whole Bible on waiting for the coming of the Lord is Paul in Philippians 3.24. Our citizenship is in heaven. How many of you know that we're not primarily citizens on this earth? We are primarily, after we get saved, citizens in heaven. Amen. Our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the most beautiful verses I've ever read in my life. Well, faithful and true, he would find us here. Would he find us here if he should come today watching in gladness, that's passionately, not in fear, not in fear. Stop being afraid. Christ is coming back. He's got things under control. There's no panic in heaven. There's only a plan. Chill, that's a Greek word. Watching in gladness and not in fear. If he should come today, signs of his coming multiply. Morning light breaks in Easter sky. Watch for the time is drawing nigh. What if it were today? We sang that when I was a kid. Man, I thought the Lord could come back today. He could. The Lord is coming back. I have good news for you. I have good news for you, Bellevue. The Lord's coming back. Wait for him passionately. And then thirdly, he's coming back. Lord coming the Lord's near, wait peacefully. look at the first part of verse nine. Do not complain. oh may we all read that out loud, good and strong together. Could we please? Do not complain. I didn't say that the Lord did all right but I say amen to it. Don't complain brethren. <laughs> what, what does that mean? They were complaining. You don't say don't complain to somebody's not complaining. Why is there not an amen anywhere to be found in this whole room? We've got 2,000 people in here They say, yeah, okay. Don't complain, brethren, against one another. Don't fight and fuss. Oh, we need to be like the early church. We are <laughs> when we fight and fuss. They fought and they fussed too. It's just the way people do so that you yourselves may not be judged. That is, when you fuss... And when you're divisive, that's going to come back on you. You're going to reap what you sow. He said, wait in peace for the coming of the Lord. Be in peace with your brethren. Don't fight. Don't fuss. Don't complain. That word means to to groan. Don't groan against each other. Don't complain against each other. Don't beat each other up. You're going to reap what you sow. Wait for the coming of the Lord and let's be peaceful about it. Let's wait peacefully. Don and I have gone to the Southern Baptist Convention since 1985. We go every year. I think we missed one time when I uh, was sick with myasthenia and I had first had my operation and all that. But uh, every Time we go, we're blessed. Every time we go to the Southern Baptist Convention, we're blessed. Worship music's incredible. Preaching is off the chart. Business sessions are orderly, productive. We always fellowship with old friends. We always make new friends. It's just a great thing for us. We just enjoy it. But when we come back home and we see the media reporting on the Southern Baptist Convention, we ask the same thing. Did they go to the same convention we went to? We went to a convention where over 60 new missionaries, some of them in areas that are so dangerous, they couldn't even put their faces. All you could see is a form, a shadow while they're talking. But we saw over 60 missionaries sign up and be sent out by the convention to be new missionaries. Added to our almost 4,000 missionaries on the Southern Baptist Convention, all over the world who have to sign the Baptist faith and message that Dr. Rogers was in charge of writing and I was on the 15-member committee and I'll guarantee you, it is a conservative, Bible-believing document of faith, all right? They have to sign that to be a missionary. They're not liberals. Some people saying the Southern Baptist Convention is getting liberal. (laughs) No, it's not. That's the media telling you that kind of stuff. Four men were nominated to be president of the Southern Maps Convention. We elected one. Oh, that's divisive. It was a tight vote. It was a tight vote. When I got in, it was a tight vote when Dr. Rogers got in. It's always a tight vote, but that doesn't mean we hate each other. It just means we're voting. Now, back in Dr. Rogers' day, yes, there was some contention going on, but that's that's long gone. Man, now to even teach in our seminaries, you've got to sign the Baptist faith and message that you believe the Bible's the inerrant word of God. You believe the Bible's the inspired word of God. You believe that Jesus is the only way to go to heaven. You believe that it's by grace through faith in Christ that we're saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not a liberal denomination. That is absolutely a lie. We are not. And I'm not trying to, you know, just take up the Sun Baptist Convention. But what I'm trying to say is there are a lot of people that just like to fuss and fight. They wake up in the morning saying, good morning. And they're ready to pop you in the jaw. Amen. They're in Jesus' name. I tell you, they think it's a gift. It is not a gift. It is not a gift to be pugnacious and to be fighting all the time. But the, 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 the media hates us because we believe Jesus is the only way to salvation. The Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God. Marriage is one woman and one man. There's only one race, the human race. And that's why they don't like us. They hate us. So if you listen to the media, that's on you. But 100% of the SBC professors believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. They sign a document for it. We are not a liberal denomination. Where am I going to go that I can help support 4,000 missionaries in over 100 countries? Where am I going to go to help support hundreds, hundreds and hundreds every year of new churches being planted all over North America? Where am I going to go that there are 15,000 young people studying to be in the ministry, the full-time gospel ministry, and they're doing it in conservative six seminaries that are conservative. Where am I going to go to be part of a movement like that? I'm not trying to put anybody else down, but don't let somebody else tell you that the SBC... I'm going to tell you something. If the SBC became that much liberal, I'd run from it. I'd run from it. I'd get out of it. I'm not trying to brag, but I'm just telling you. We're in the Southern Baptist Convention because it's the most conservative convention in the whole nation that I know of. And anybody that tells you different is telling a lie. I don't know why they would say it, but that's what it is, all right? Why am I talking about that? I'm talking about it because of the text. Don't complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. If Christians would stop quarreling with each other, especially on social media and other places like that, if they just stop it, more lost people would want to get saved. Why do I want to get saved if you're fighting all the time in the church? Why do I want? I, I have that out here in the world. They're saying, I want to go to a place that's peaceful. And that's why God says, wait for me and do it peacefully. Do it peacefully. 2 Corinthians thirteen eleven. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. I just want to say if you verbally attack other Christians and claim to be a Christian, stop it. Stop it now. That's my gift. That is not a gift, that's a curse. Stop it. Quit being so mean. Grow up, get a life. You okay? We don't have time to fight with with each other. We need to fight. I'll tell you who you want to fight, fight the devil. Get on your knees, start fasting, start praying, claim scripture and pray, but quit beating up on other Christians and think you're doing something right, okay? Wait for the parousia peacefully. And then fourthly, wait persistently. Don't give up. Look at verse 10. As an example, brethren, of suffering, patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Every Old Testament prophet to the person from Moses to John the Baptist was persecuted. They waited patiently, and they endured suffering. Jesus said, even himself, how the Jewish people were so harsh in Jerusalem against the Old Testament prophets. He said in Luke thirteen thirty-four. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen, that's a female chicken for y'all city folks, a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it. The Old Testament prophets were persecuted but they persevered persistently. Then he says in verse 11, we count those blessed who endured. Endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Some of you are going through a hard time. Job went through a hard time. He was one of the godliest people ever to live, if not the godliest person other than Jesus to live. Yet in like one day he lost his health, he lost his ten children, he lost his crops, he lost his possessions, and his wife said she was so broken. Why don't we just? Why don't you just curse God and die? Let's let's just let's just die. She didn't want to live. Job said, "You speak like the foolish people." Shall we receive good from the hand of God and not receive the bad? Naked I came into this world, naked I'm going to leave it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now that's the real Christianity right there. That when you got boils all over your body and your 10 kids are laying out in the grave, And your crops are gone and everybody thinks it's because you've done something wrong. And your best friends turn on you. And you got one younger guy yapping at you on the internet probably. (laughs) (laughs) And all you've done is try to serve the Lord. And you say, you can kill me, you can slay me, but I still trust you. That's faith. That's faith. Job said, I'm not going to quit. Job 17, 9, one of my favorite verses about him. He said, the righteous keeps moving forward. Let's say that together. The righteous keeps moving forward and those with clean hands become stronger and stronger. As Christ coming draws near. It's going to get worse. You better be persistent. You better persevere. You better keep moving forward like Job. I read a statistic on salespeople and who has the best results. Did you know that 48% of people in sales stop calling people after they have one person that says no? 48, almost half salesmen They make one call, the people say, I don't want what you got, and they quit. 25% call two times, and then they quit if the people say no. Another 15% call three times, and if the people say no, they quit. So about 88% of the salesmen quit after one to three calls. And guess who makes the most sales? The 12% who keep calling no matter what. They do 80% of business in this land persistence wins the day Hosea 6:3 Oh that we might know the Lord let us press on to know him let's say that with me let us press on to know him we will res- he will respond to us as surely as the revival as the arrival of dawn or the coming of the rains in early spring Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3:13 But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. Don't stop doing the right thing every day. In Hebrews 13, 15, through him, through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. Whatever happens, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You can't just pray once and give up. You can't just witness once and expect somebody to get saved. You can't just go to church once in a while and feel good about what God's doing in your family. Don't. Give up. The coming of the Lord is near. Don't let a pandemic, don't let people, don't let a pandemic stop you. Don't let a people sidetrack you. Don't let politics seduce you. The coming of the Lord is near. Stay positive, stay pure, stay prayed up and stay persistent. Don't quit. Persevere. Wait for the coming of the Lord persistently. The coming of the Lord is near, brethren. You need to wait patiently, wait. Passionately, wait peacefully, wait persistently, and then wait productively. Don't just sit around saying, Well, he's coming back, I'll just wait on him. No, 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 no. Do something while you're waiting, all right? Jesus talked about that again in Matthew 24. It's all about the coming of Christ, verse 45 and following. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household? To give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, he begins to beat his fellow slaves on the internet and eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The master is Jesus. The slaves are Christians. He said, I don't want you to wait sitting around doing nothing. I want you to be productive. I want you out there telling people about the Lord. I've got another text. I won't talk about it. But I'm just telling you what we need to do. You know what we need to do? Waiting on the Lord. We need to keep one eye on heaven and one hand to the plow. We're not going to just be stargazers talking about eschatology all the time. Let's just study prophecy so we can have more. We got enough knowledge. Hey, I'll give you the knowledge. Jesus is coming back. There you go let's get with the program and do something. Let's live this day for that day. Let's take today. Today's all I've got. I woke up this morning. I said, Father, thank you. This is the day you've made. I rejoice and I'm glad in it. It's all I got. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow's not promised. Today's Sunday, beginning of a new day, beginning of a new week. I dedicate myself to you. I, Lord, let me have somebody to witness to. Give me places to go and share the gospel. God, Help me today to be kind to people. Help me to be encouraging to people. Help me when I preach today to say things that I didn't even have on my notes, but you have it in your heart, Lord God. Let me be about my Father's business. Dear God in heaven, until I see you, let me be all in productively right now, telling people about Jesus, making disciples, giving to people in need, just trying to be a blessing, encourage other people, writing letters, uh, making phone calls, giving texts. Don't be part of the problem in America. Be part of the good thing, the solution in America to bring the, Jesus, the gospel of Jesus to America. That's what we need to be. And you have to do it productively. You have to do it. can't just sit around. I'm going to live today for the day when he comes. I want to be so ready when he comes that I'm not going to say, uh-oh, I didn't do that." I want to have it done. Whatever it is he wants me to do, I want it to be done by the time he comes.